Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're getting a chance to listen. Thank you for joining me once again on the Radio Eclectic Talk is Cheap. This is a real special show for me because our guest has played with Meatloaf and Yes and currently is a member of Kansas. So how much better can that be? Keyboardist Tom Brislin took very little time inserting himself into the fabric of Kansas with his work on the absence of presence and on stage with the band. Currently, Kansas are taking a slight breather before jumping back on the road to celebrate 50 years and their compilation, a history book, if you will, called Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Kansas. This interview was so much fun for me. Tom is a great guy, and I look forward to meeting him when Kansas come to play near me in September. So without further ado, welcome one and all to Talk is Cheap. Now, before we talk about your current status in Kansas, let's go back a long while to when you first discovered music. What was it that you were listening to that influenced your decision to play keyboards? I think it was a combination of the fact that there was a piano in the house and it was kind of the center of entertainment for our family. And also my sister's record collection. It was all the 70s music, which was current at the time. I was very little, but I just love the idea of a record player and the records and especially the sounds that were coming out. And when you think about the 1970s, not even just progressive rock, but the keyboards were prominent in everything. The keyboards were really a big thing in rock and also with the, the new wave music that I was also hearing on the radio come the 80s. So for me, I knew that there was more than just the piano, although that's my first and foremost uh, instrument. But the sounds of synths also caught my ear at a young age. You're just like I am. You were a child of the 70s, but a teenager in the 80s. So I think we had the best of both worlds. It really was a, a cool combo. And, and I, I did oscillate back and forth. I would continue to listen to the 70s music, and it always sounded more earthy, whereas the 80s was all about the future. And I, I liked kind of uh, swimming in between those two worlds. You did some local stuff in New Jersey, but got a huge break joining Meatloaf in 1999. You appeared on the VH1 Storyteller special and were you were featured very prominently. You were in almost every shot. I just watched it. How did you get involved with Meatloaf? I played for Glenn Burtnick, who was also a member of Styx in the 90s. And through him and one of his songwriting collaborators, Kazem Sultan, who was the musical director of Meatloaf's band and bassist at the time, they had a need for a piano player, and Glenn threw my name uh, to Kazem, and he gave me an audition, and we went from there. On a side note, I, I guess talking about music of the 70s, I think Bad Out of Hell is by far the greatest album that was ever recorded. As someone who played a lot of the music on that album, at least live, why is it so good? It's just, it's raw rock and roll emotion, and it's got a good amount of the adventure in it, and I think a lot of that teen angst has to do with wanting to get out and see the world and see what the next adventure is. And it also doesn't take itself too seriously, but there's also an earnestness to it that I think is a great combination. In 2001, you had an amazing opportunity to join Yes on their Yes Symphonic tour as a keyboard player and i'm assuming this must have been a dream come true for you it was a dream i didn't know i had <laughs> this was the band that i had the posters on the wall and i was learning their music and all, all about progressive rock through yes and when that call came I, I couldn't believe it but so many big shoes to fill in that experience but i had a great time what was it like performing with chris squire alan white steve howe and john anderson those are 
some of the greatest musicians of all time, and you got to share the stage with them. It was intense, and it's funny, they, they told me right off the bat that it was like I'd have four different bosses, each with their own vision of what they wanted to do musically and what they wanted me to do musically. And so I had to navigate uh, <laughs> the different sets of instructions I got throughout the process, but I, I tried to bask in it and just to vibe with the group and and just also enjoy listening to them as I was playing. To me, that must have been a distraction because I know that when I'm doing photos and trying to get shots and doing interviews, I tend to get kind of caught up in the heat of the moment. And for you being a fan, that must have been sometimes a challenge like, uh oh, oh, I'm starting to I'm starting to really enjoy what I'm doing. I need to focus. I'm grateful that I got the experience of playing in Meatloaf's band first. Because he was the one that really showed me what it meant to play on big stages. And I had to be entirely laser focused on him because he would pause for dramatic effect anytime he wanted to. And it was on me to catch it. The band would link up with me. So by the time I got to Yes, I was exorcised of any of the the fanboy stuff. And was all about just locking in musically with the group. So I, I was grateful to have that focus by the time I got with Yes.
What was a favorite song growing up from Yes that you were like, wow, I actually get to play this with Yes? The entire Fragile album was pretty big for me. I think I might have first heard that on 8-track from my <laughs> sisters. And um, all the music on that, and as I became more of a Yes fan, to know that songs from Close to the Edge and Relayer were on the menu... It was it was pretty awesome. Fast forward to 2018 and Kansas have a vacant keyboard spot. So how did you find out about this opening and what did you do to get that? Phil Ehart from Kansas uh, called me and asked me to join the band. It was a completely unexpected phone call. I had played with a group called The Sea Within, which were label mates of Kansas on Inside Out Music. And we play, had just played a festival in Germany, a progressive rock festival in the summer. And the label was there and they got reacquainted with me and what I did. And they thought it was the, the move to recommend me. And Phil and the company had checked me out and what I was doing and all my history with Yes and everything and gave me that shot. I think it's the absolute perfect fit because growing up, I kind of looked at Kansas a little more like the Charlie Daniels band than I did Yes, mostly because of the violin. I never appreciated until about maybe the mid-80s that Kansas were a deep, progressive band beyond the singles. And it must have been a little bit of a familiar kind of thing for you getting into playing some just great classic music. They had all the flavors on deck, right? They they had that progressive influence and I heard some Keith Emerson in the music and some of the British rock influence, but also like you said all this Americana and soulful bluesiness that was just uh, colliding in in such a great way that you really have to listen to a whole Kansas record to, to get the, the vibe of what's going on. Because if you just hear dust in the wind, that's going to make you think Kansas is one type of group. Or if you hear Carry On Wayward Son, that's going to give you another idea. But if you dig into the albums, you hear just a tremendous imagination. And speaking of those songs, you have seen firsthand a younger audience starting to come in because of the songs being featured in tv shows and things like that people are starting to really discover kansas and it must make you feel good to be part of this it's great seeing the, the span of generations that come to see the show and and i'm happy to report that it seems like everybody's having a really great time and i think like you said the method of delivery how we get this music has changed over the years so people who have heard it on TV and that means something to them. And, and as opposed to someone who saw the band in concert in the seventies or eighties, and that was a special time in their life. And, and we, we take good care of, of the music and knowing that it means a lot to people and their memories, no matter what generation they're from.
If you have never heard of Broadbrook, Connecticut, don't worry about it too much. Not only is it my hometown, but it's the home of the Broadbrook Opera House. Founded in 1892 and reestablished again in 2018, it's a home for all of your event needs, like weddings and parties and private events. It's a beautiful old building that has a lot of special memories for me, and now is the home for some great live music. The venue has an amazing sound system, perfect performance stage, and great viewing no matter where you are seated. There is plenty of parking, and I will guarantee you this, no matter who you go see there, you will enjoy the experience so much you'll be looking for every and any opportunity to go back. On the web, it's broadbrookoperahouse.com. You can like them on Facebook and check out their ever-growing list of concerts. Rock, pop, soul, classic rock, alternative, national acts, and homegrown talent. The Broadbrook Opera House is where you will now call home. For an up-to-date list of all concerts, go to broadbrookoperahouse.com and click Live Shows. Before we jump back into our conversation, I just want to mention some other podcasts you may be interested in. The Radio Eclectic, it's a monthly show where I feature some of the best new music being released today. It's me playing DJ for an hour or so, so give a listen. 53.5, the official Striper podcast. It's a show where we celebrate the yellow and black awesomeness and the spirituality of one of the best bands ever, Striper. Talk is Cheap, the show that you're listening to right now featuring music and interviews with my favorite musicians and some special shows featuring friends from the world of comic books, movies, and TV. And finally, the Power Chords podcast, celebrating the best in music with talk, reviews, and a real spirit of fun. For links to all my shows, you can go to www.originalmatman.weebly.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. These shows are all a labor of love for me, and I hope that you can hear that in each episode. And for information about my books, you can go to www.monarchcomics.com with my all-ages adventure, Monkey See Sea Monkey, getting ready for a release early this summer. And now, folks, back to my conversation with Tom Brislin. In 2020, Kansas released the amazing album, The Absence of Presence. And of the nine songs on it, you were part of seven of them. Now, were these songs that you were already working on, or did you kind of just jump right into the process with the guys? I tried to jump in as quickly as possible. As soon as I joined the band, I, I asked about songwriting and the creative aspect of the group, and they were welcoming of me and encouraging me to send them my recordings and my ideas as soon as possible because they already had the music to a few songs underway, but those songs didn't have lyrics yet. And I thought, what better way to get involved than to write some lyrics for some music that was already vibing with the group. So I ended up writing lyrics for, like you said, seven of the nine songs on the album and had some music in there too that, that they were, were digging. And so I just I don't know how I did it because I was learning their set to play live at the same time, but it all worked out. The title track, Throwing Mountains, and the song The River Sang really, to me, drove the pace of that album. And especially the song The River Sang, you got to sing on it. So how cool was that for you to tell Ronnie, you know what, sit back, sit down, take a break, I got this one. <laughs> well, I would never be the one to say it because <laughs> I was still the new guy, but I was singing on the demos of the songs that I wrote and presented to the group, assuming that, that Ronnie would sing them, and he did for Memories Down the Line, for instance. But Kansas has always been that group that had the dual vocal approach. You know, Robbie Steinhardt would sing some leads on, on the earlier albums, so it wasn't far-fetched to have another voice singing lead and Billy Greer has sung lead on songs before. So for them to say, we like the way your voice sounds on this track, let's have you do it. That was something I did not expect, but I just had to give it my best. 
And you did. You gave it your best, and it came out amazing. I love that song. To me, it was the perfect way to end an amazing album. I was grateful that it, it worked out that way, and we even did play it live uh, for a while, and that was pretty awesome, too, just to hear it on the, on the big stage.
Kansas just released a huge compilation called Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Kansas. It's hard for me still to kind of wrap my head around that 50 years part. Um, but the album is available now on Inside Out Music. And for you, how does it feel to have a few of your songs there alongside some of not just great Kansas songs, but some of the greatest songs ever recorded? It blows me away. Uh, to, to be part of the Kansas story in this way and to make it onto this retrospective. Uh, it's an awesome set of music and I'm just uh, thrilled to have my fingerprints on it. As always, Kansas seemed to not like being at home because the band is always on the road. Kansas Classics finishes up on May 21st and the 50th anniversary tour begins in June. So for something like this, how do you get ready? And did you know that there's a lot of road work involved with being in Kansas. Oh, no doubt that I knew that this was a kind of group that you really have to do your homework. And that's what I'm doing right now. We're getting more deep cuts into the set to celebrate the 50 year anniversary of the band. We're, we're addressing almost every Kansas studio album. And that's exciting, but uh, it's also a, a lot of deep diving into the nooks and crannies of the music because I want to bring it to life as best I can. I get to see you guys on October 12th in Worcester, Mass. at the Hanover Theater. And for a complete list of tour dates, you can go to kansasband.com. So with the entire, and I know this is going to be a tough one, with the entire Kansas catalog, what's your favorite Kansas song to play live? I always mention Song for America as one of my favorites. I think that really captures a lot of the different aspects of Kansas music. And it's just so uplifting and exciting. And... I get to go off on it, too, so that doesn't hurt. Tom, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Continued success and everything that goes on. And thank you for being such a fun interview. I absolutely had a blast talking to you. And uh, give my best to the boys, especially Ronnie, when you see him. I've interviewed Ronnie, and the first time I ever chatted with him, he was like, so what's your favorite Kansas song? Because I was getting ready to go see them. My wife and I were going to see them for the very first time. And I said, play the game tonight. I absolutely love that song. That's my favorite Kansas song ever. And he goes, oh, we don't do that one. <laughs> so he, he kind of blew me out of the water. But then by the second and third time I saw the band, that was well in the set. So uh, continued success and just have a great time. And uh, can't wait to see you guys out there. Thank you so much. Hope to see you. Face to face 
hunts aren't about hunting witches. They never were. Anyone who knows me has accepted the fact that comic books are an important part of my life. I've been reading and absorbing the comic book culture since 1974, and I look at the 70s and early 1980s as a great time for comic book fans. Back then, there was so much variety, style, and quality in not only the art and story, but in the overall production. There is one comic company that holds true to those principles, delivering quality comics, books, and trade collections. Monarch Comics has been delivering action, suspense, and humor since 2007. Monarch Comics lineup includes the award-winning and wicked funny saga of Evil Monkey Man and their flagship title, Witch Hunter. This book has received rave reviews from everyone, including Herkus and comic legend Jim Shooter, who said, Monarch Comics won't let you down. Not only does Monarch have comics, but they also have a line of books, Monarch Books. The latest from Monarch Books is Black Sabbath, The Vinyl Testament. You can find everything you need to know by going to www.monarchcomics.com. On Facebook, it's Monarch Comics. Just look for Witch Hunter. Monarch Comics and books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and comic book stores worldwide. And that is going to do it for another episode of the Radio Eclectic. I hope that you enjoyed our time together as much as I did, and I really hope that you discovered some great music. Now go out, spread the word that awesome music is alive and well. For my website to find out where all my podcasts are and my monthly album charts, www.originalnatman.weebly.com. My latest book, Black Sabbath, The Vinyl Testament from Monarch Books, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and so many other booksellers. Signed books can be attained by contacting me at matmancomics at yahoo.com or by visiting my Etsy store, Original Matman. The Radio Eclectic is a presentation of Monarch Media, a subsidiary of Monarch Comics. Monarch can be found at monarchcomics.com and on Facebook, just look for the picture of the smirking witch hunter. Thank you to all who support this show and make it more than just me talking for an hour because nobody wants that. I'm the Matman. Thank you for sharing your time with me and have yourself a good one. 
until we rock again soon.